Welcome to the Coaching Question Podcast. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really what's it all about. Join me, Gregor Finley, and my colleague Sarah Turner, two executive coaches, for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we ask the question, what is the place for psychometrics in coaching? So I suppose, Sarah, we should start off with defining what are psychometrics and how are they used? Yes, and in my experience, psychometrics generally is about uh, the psychological profile of an individual. And from a work perspective, that generally will fall into two camps. So you'll have ability testing, which might be something like a verbal reasoning or numerical reasoning questionnaire or test, and then a personality questionnaire. And organisations typically will use them for a couple of different reasons. Particularly ability tests um, will be used as part of recruitment or selection. Personality tests more likely to be used as part of development, although for some more senior roles, I've seen a a kind of a balance of both being used. So you'd have an ability test, but you'd also balance that out with a a personality questionnaire, which might then be informed further um, with an in-depth interview. Yeah, I think some some psychometrics are are suited to selection and some are not. Yeah. Um, I should say, so I'm probably going to at times use the term OCPSYCH, which stands for Occupational Psychologist, which you are a qualified occupational psychologist. So you are qualified to use all of these different instruments. Yes. Um, I'm not an occupational psychologist, but I am qualified to use certain instruments and, and I've used quite a lot in my in my coaching work. So that's sort of our credibility in, in talking about these things. Mm, yeah, I think that's important to point out. I think the other thing with psychometrics is that they generally have a shelf life. So different tools will have different periods of time that they can be considered to be valid for. But as a general rule of thumb, I'd say around about two years, because although personality is considered to be reasonably stable, it can be subject to change depending on significant life events. And actually, we were having a a quick chat before we started recording about, and just using my own example with MBTI, for example, which we'll talk about a little bit more in this podcast, but essentially you, you come out with a preference for ways of behaving and and my kind of profile must have been about 15 years ago now would have been an ENFP Um, but since becoming a mum and having children and suddenly needing to be super hyper organized I have adapted to become an ENFJ which basically means I've gone P is much more relaxed open-ended spontaneous whereas moving more to the J is about being more time-bound or being scheduled being planful. Yeah, and I would be more pedantic about that and say your preference is to be more time-bound and scheduled, etc. But that is very understandable considering you have two young children. Yeah. Um, so that's going to drive you much towards that way of being. And Myers-Briggs stands for my The MBTI is Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, mm-hmm. which is an extension of Jungian uh, theory. And a much more purist Jungian approach is insights, discovery. And Insights doesn't have that last J or P because you never talked about that. That was something that Briggs and, and Myers added uh, because they they tended to see people living their lives in, in one of two sort of general ways. Um, so there, there does tend to be a bit of maybe academic dispute between those two schools of, uh, of Jungian theory. Mm. So as a coach, we're often exploring what drives certain leadership styles and the behaviours 
And understanding how personality traits come into play can be very powerful. What would you say about that? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that to my point about the time bound piece, over my lifetime, I'm going to experience different things, particularly if we think in an organisational setting, if I'm promoted up to more senior levels, if I'm managing greater teams of people, not only might I be changing, but those people I'm leading are also going to be changing their personality and having that level of awareness around who I am, what my preferences will really help increase my own self-awareness, but also inform how I behave with others. So I think it can be hugely powerful in coaching. I mean, that's that's why I, I love it. So I use MBTI a lot because it's probably the thing I've been trained in the longest. I did qualify to use Insights Discovery. The thing I like about Insights Discovery is it's very simple. People can get it quicker. So rather than have 16 different types like you have in MBTI, mm. you essentially only have four because you, you have four colors. So it's very easy for somebody to get, uh, they, have a, they lead with a red energy, whereas there are four different types that would go into that classification in MBTI. But I like about, for a coaching work, I like MBTI because of that extra level of detail. Mm. It gives me more flexibility to do more interesting development work. From an organisational perspective, if I want to have a common language in the organisation, I want people to get things quickly, I think Insights is a fantastic tool Mm. because it gets that common language, which is so important to help people relate to one another differently because they can recognise the differences we don't have in our notes, but try and find this reference to put it in the coaching notes. There's a fantastic book, or a book title at least, which is I'm Not Mad, I'm Just Not You. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about psychometrics and coaching is that not only can people generate much more self-awareness, it's a social awareness of realising, oh, I get it. This person that I'm having conflict with, they're not nuts. Yeah. They just see things from a completely different perspective from me. Both aspects are actually quite valid. Mm. I need to be able to understand it. I, I love that metaphor in Mars Briggs that there's a house of 16 rooms. You can go into any of the 16 rooms. You can act from the basis of any of those 16 rooms because all the doors are open. You're just going to find it really comfortable in one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so I think that that helps in my relationship with my wife because I know that 6.2%, I think, of the UK population are our type, ENFP preferences. Mm-hmm. She is ISFJ preferences, very, very different from mine. Mm. And my added understanding of where she's coming from really helps me mm. in being able to relate differently. And I think that's what I really love about psych- that, that element of psychometrics and coaching. And I think that's why in an organisation, so you and I both know organisations who might have a preference for a particular tool, and that then becomes part of the language of that organisation. So you've already referenced, I might be very blue or very red, or I might have a particular MBTI preference. And I think as a coach, if we're able to share and understand that language, that really adds value to the coaching relationship. Well, I think it adds value to the coaching relationship. We're not 
the expert on the client. The client is the expert on the client, but we can still be an expert in the model. Mm. But I think I was relaying a story to you about it changes the way that you, if you know the personality preferences of your client, so sometimes people will come to coaching, they've already done psychometrics and that's really interesting data. Mm-hmm. It shifts how you might want to work with the client. Extroverted intuitives in, in Myers-Briggs language really love models. So giving them a model that they can then apply to their situation can be really productive and they are very happy thinking about the future and goals. So the, the coaching model grow, you would always start with goal. Yeah. It doesn't work for introverted sensing types. But introverted sensing types, Gregor, what what would that mean for someone who doesn't know Myers-Briggs? Yeah. So my introversion is I get my energy from internal to myself. Uh, Being in a crowded room would be exhausting, but going for a long walk on my own would be energizing. Mm -hmm. But sensing is I like to take in information in terms of what I can see here, touch, feel, and smell is my sensing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I am interested in concrete, pragmatic things and, and reality, not concepts. So asking an extrovert as an intuitive type, think about the future, what does success look and feel like? It's much easier for them con- to conceptualize that. But an introverted sensing type is, is much more likely to be grounded in their current reality mm-hmm. and might struggle to conceptualize things from the future because that's not real. And so they find it far more comfortable to start from reality. So I might not use GROW as a framework for someone like that. I might start from reality and then get them to move towards what things might be different for them to make things better for them, because that's the way they prefer to work. They prefer to start from an existing current reality and move forward from there rather than, oh, yeah, I can think about what it's, you know, yeah, I can conceptualize what it's like in five years' time. Yeah, so what I'm hearing there is you using your knowledge of MBTI to inform how you work with a client. And I think that's a really great way of illustrating how within an organisation, if I'm part of a team and I know my own MBTI profile and actually I know the profile of everyone else in the team, it can help inform how I work with those individuals too. And I think you had a quick example of a team coaching scenario where that had come up. Yeah, I mean, Myers-Briggs and Insights are often used in a team environment. They're often one of the go-to tools for team building exercises, etc. But the particular example I remember was an introverted sensing type. She was the only one in the team. And people could see that how she liked to take in information was different from the rest of the team, that she liked to do things in a step-by-step manner. So when we were then, I was observing the team, working around a particular challenge that they had, she was doing a typical ISTJ thing. That was her preferences. And she was breaking the problem down into its constituent parts to then come to a solution. And she got to the third constituent part, and one of the strong characters in the team whose preferences were ENTJ, a very different type, said, yeah, yeah, enough of that. What we need to do is X, Y, Z. There was a perfect example of the tension that there was in the team between that individual and the rest of the team because they just wanted to get on and found her communication style very frustrating. But her really rigorous perspective added a lot to that team. Mm. And they needed they did value her, but in their interactions it caused a lot of tension. Yeah. 
And that's where you were able to step in as the team coach and highlight that and work with it. And I just stopped them and I just said, look, what went on there? And they went, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> We've done it again. Yeah, that's obvious, <laughs> isn't it? Now yeah. that you mention it, yeah. it's obvious. So yeah. we needed the tool as a construct. It's just a construct. What I think is really important to highlight here also is that a psychometric personality questionnaire is self-report. So it's me saying what I think This is how I think I tend to prefer to behave most of the time. It's also a snapshot in time. So if I do the questionnaire today, it's a Tuesday morning, then what I say today, it might be slightly different if I do it next Friday, but it won't be hugely different. It might just be slightly different. And so it's really just important to highlight that it's about preferences and that the questionnaires are not infallible. And so that's where feedback is so crucially important. It's about looking at the results, exploring examples, and really working with the with the client to find a best fit. You know, And, and that's something very much that Myers-Briggs would, that's the language that Myers-Briggs would use. But I mean, any psychometric, you would always have a very detailed feedback conversation with the individual to make sure that it feels right. I love this phrase. It comes from Myers-Briggs, but it could be, you could use it on insights or any other type indicator, which is just use myself as an example. One ENFP is like all ENFPs, like some ENFPs and like no ENFPs. Yeah. It's only part of my personality. In some ways, I'm going to be the same, similar to all the other ENFPs on the planet. In other ways, I'm going to be partially the same. And in other ways, I'm going to be completely different from them because I have different upbringing, different parents, different experiences. And so I have a general pattern of behavior that it's useful to know about. But I'm completely, I am uh, an individual. Yeah, absolutely. And so you could argue that a coach and a coachee investing time at the start of their coaching relationship, really taking a deep dive uh, into that coachee's personality is potentially time very well spent. Depending on what the goal of the coaching is. Mm. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, there's leadership development programs and they're built around psychometric tools. And I think that's really, really valid because what you're doing is you're exploring self-awareness and social awareness. And that's what these tools do. Mm. But there are, I mean, we've, we've already mentioned MBTI and Insights, but actually there's quite a few tools available on the market. How do coaches and clients judge which ones to use, when to use, them and how to use them to enhance the impact of coaching. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I want to turn that question around on you because you've just qualified in one and you're qualifying in another. What's been your decision-making process in qualifying in those? So what I would say is, um, historically, I have trained in psychometric tools that have been very useful in leadership assessment work because that's I used to do quite a lot of that. Um, as I'm spending more and more of my time now in coaching and team development um, and sort of facilitation work, the tools I'm looking at are things like MBTI and Insights, which you've already referenced, which, you know, as you say, are very popular but also in the organisations I'm working in, they're actually part of that organisation system. It's the language that they use, so it's important for me to be able to share that. So yes, I'm familiar with Myers-Briggs, but was I trained to be able to do a one-to-one feedback session? No, I wasn't, and I am now, and that's a useful tool for me to have in my toolkit. Um, For me, my decision to do Myers-Briggs was I was very interested in different personality types, and I'd been exposed to it because they used it in a previous company. So when I wanted to train in one, that's what I did. It was a great choice because it's a very popular tool. And so therefore, I was able to really help with my practice. So I think part of the decision comes down to popularity. I think what's interesting is to look at a very different instrument is Hogan. 
and particularly what gets called the Hogan Dart side, which is the Hogan Development Survey. And that's the one that I would use a lot um, in terms of leadership assessments. I've done hundreds of those. Right. So you've done hundreds of them. I've maybe done dozens of them. But that is, I think, is a really fantastic tool. It can be used for selection. It's also used for development. But it's a fantastic tool for the senior leadership population. Yes, absolutely. Let's pause for a second then. So, you know, what we were wanting to talk about today is what's the place for psychometrics and coaching? So I think we've had a really good kind of introductory conversation there about where we would use psychometrics. So let's dig a little bit deeper into when would we use psychometrics and perhaps when might we not in coaching? Well, I think they're always useful because they, they always generate awareness. Where I think they're, they're less useful is just they're, they're probably going to get in the way. Yeah. So I've got an example right now of a guy I'm starting with and the 360-degree feedback is the most important thing. Mm. What's coming from the system and reacting to what's coming from the system is more important than personality stuff at the moment. I think that a psychometric would probably be really valuable for this individual, but I think doing it now would be overloading. I think the 360-degree feedback is way more important right now than any psychometric I might do with them. Mm. It's considering, is it going to get in the way? Or is it a primary tool? And if I take another example, is if somebody is at risk of derailing, there's a real risk of them failing. That's when getting in there and doing a Hogan and using Hogan with them rather than doing a Hogan using Hogan with them to really help them work around those potential derailers. That's when you know, you wouldn't want to do anything else. You would you would definitely want to use a Hogan there. Yeah, and I think, you know, what what I'm hearing from what you're saying there is it really depends on the goals of the coaching, right? So, you know, I've had I've had clients kind of come to the coaching with results of questionnaires they've completed recently as part of a team building session or, you know, something else they've been working on, or it could be that the sponsor of the coaching has said you know, to your point there, where you might have someone who's at risk of derailing, you know, actually, we've had some, well, we've had some feedback on this individual, would really like you to explore their 360. And potentially, you might do a Hogan with that as well to kind of help bring a different lens. So it's really about trying to think about what are we wanting to get out of the coaching? And how is the psychometric going to be a useful lens to apply to what we're talking about? Yeah, and I think in, I'm not qualified in the Enneagram. Yeah. I think if I did an awful lot more career coaching, I might want to qualify in the Enneagram because it is really focusing on um, your motivation. Mm. You know, and whereas I find Marsbury's can be very really useful in terms of influencing and communication, uh, it can be really helpful in, in leadership. I think, in, but it's not as useful in career situations. Yeah. It's going to help a little, but it's not really useful. I think if I was in lots of career work, I would want to qualify probably in the Enneagram because I think it's a more appropriate tool. Yeah, I've also used just a, just a kind of a straightforward personality questionnaire. So the one I would use is the Savile Wave questionnaire. But again, that just tells you a little bit about the person's preferences and that can really help inform thinking about what they enjoy doing, what they you know don't enjoy doing um, and can feed into things like motivations and values. So there's absolutely some value I think that I've gained from from doing that. I suppose we should mention the Belbin is the one which has got tons of face validity. So 
Bailbin, for people who aren't familiar with it, is a series of types that you usually use in teams. And it describes the different roles you take in a team. So a plant is the very creative type. The shaper is a person who drives towards results. The complete finisher is a person that does the detail, etc. And it's got tons and tons of face validity and everybody can recognise themselves. And so face validity, just for our listeners, means? So face validity means on the face of things, it seems obvious and clearly this tool is is scientifically valid, you know, because on the face of things, it's obvious. But if you if you dig into it, Belbin doesn't have much real validity because it doesn't have test-retest validity. So if you test someone on Belbin and then you retest them on Belbin, they come up with a different profile depending on the, on the circumstance. So it's not a reliable tool. It's got tons of face validity, so people like to use it. Mm. And so you do get things. And there are people who would make real arguments at Myers-Briggs and the, the union tools don't have the required validity. Mm. I would say that just the commonality of language yeah. can be incredibly useful on its own. So even though Belbin isn't really a great scientific tool, the language that it gives people can be really useful. Yeah. Okay, so I think it might be useful to quickly jump into a little bit around the risks and the pitfalls around using psychometrics in coaching. The first thing I think about when I think about this is the feedback. I mean, I know you you shared a couple of stories when we were preparing for this podcast around when feedback hadn't been handled well, but it needs to be handled sensitively and skillfully because this is personal stuff. And actually, people don't necessarily always understand exactly what the results are telling them unless they're being given that feedback by somebody who's a a fully trained practitioner who's able to put those results in context and give some perspective. To to give an example, I was asked by an organisation to do a feedback session on a Hogan. And part of the things you get when you are feeding it back, you're the consultant, you get the subscales. Yeah. which has psychological language that you wouldn't use in everyday English language. This was a telephone-based download of a report, which I didn't really agree with, but I thought, oh, I'll do my best. But this is what the, the construct it was within this organization. And this, was, this was earlier on in my career. And they had basically sent her this report with the subscales, with no positioning, there was no debriefing, and she was able to read it all on her own. I had to spend an hour getting her back down off the ceiling mm. because of what had been said in this report using the subscale language. That was a waste of the company's time. Yeah. I mean, basically, it ended up being damaging. Mm. And the same organization, they, they did a photo B with someone, and somebody came to me and said, oh, I know my photo B. And he gave me the language from the clinical booklet that you're not supposed to share with the client. And he told me he had the mission impossible with narcissistic tendencies profile. That's like not language you use. No. And you need, <laughs> you need to understand what that means and how you, you know, how you feed that back and how you share that with the individual. Crazy. I don't, I don't deal with that organization anymore. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. there's something there's something very important there around the feedback, which I think goes without saying, but it's important just to kind of highlight that. There's also something, I mean, I think that the, the shared language is really useful, but there is a danger, isn't there, that people can become hooked or kind of get, you kind of use labels as an excuse um, or maybe to kind of avoid changing their behaviour. Well, I'm, I'm this way, so that's just how it is sort of thing. 
and I think all of those, when people get hooked or people are bothered about their labels, it's a wonderful coaching opportunity. Mm, absolutely. Tell us a little bit because, more about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how would you like it to be? And, you know, and I, ju- I just remember one guy came on an MBTI workshop for his team and he was dead set against it because his mother was an MBTI practitioner. Hmm. And as far as he was concerned, she'd been trying to force him into this label box mm. for years. And so he was dead set against the tool. By the end of the day, he, he was like, he was a convert. He was, he was having a great time. But, it, but for him, he had to deal with this relationship with his mother. That's what it was all about. It wasn't mm. about the tool. Mm. And then I think there's, and again, this kind of goes without saying, but important to highlight is contracting around the use of psychometrics in the coaching. So there's some obvious things around data protection. You know, if I'm completing a questionnaire for my coach who gets to see the results, anything you'd add to that? I think it can be difficult in a team setup when you get someone who's very wed to the the privacy element, Mm -hmm. because a lot of the benefit of these tools come in the sharing. Yeah, that's true. So OPP, who own the rights for um, Marsh Briggs in the UK, at least, would say, you know, you own your profile. It's not up to the consultant to share it. Absolutely. It's only upon your permission that it may be shared. So means if you're going to share within a team setting, everybody has to contract to share. And if somebody's not comfortable sharing, they're not comfortable sharing. Mm. But then that's something that you have to deal with in the team dynamic and with them personally, et cetera. So. Yeah, different tools have got different rule sets, ethical rule sets that you sign up to as a practitioner. Yeah, but I think underneath all of that, as a coach, there'll be some ethics that we be working to around that as well, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, if you look at the, it can be deeply personal for mm. some of this stuff. So it is absolutely up to the individual who they share it with, if anyone, when they share it, in what context. Yeah. And that's something that has to be driven by them and not driven by the coach. I think there's also a danger of being a distraction. I know we referenced this briefly before, but I was thinking about what you were saying earlier, where, you know, when you have when you have recently trained in a tool or if a tool becomes part of your language, so, for example, you're very, very comfortable with MBTI language and you talk about it very, very comfortably and fluidly, is there a danger? I mean, I think you use this phrase, you can have kind of MBTI goggles on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think, and I see that happening with people, is that they qualify in a tool and then because they're using it so much, they they, have, they end up with MBTI goggles or insights goggles. You know, they see everything in terms of four colours. And I always like to say, you know, your Myers-Briggs type, for example, is just a sliver of your personality. Yeah. And I have got no idea how big or small it is. Yeah. I know it's only a part of who you are. But it's very easy as a practitioner for that to suddenly become the only lens that you see things through. And I think that is a danger. Yeah. And so I think there's something, there's a role for supervision in that. And then I think in terms of the coaching and being really clear with your contracting around the role of the psychometric and and how it's going to be used and being really conscious not to get too drawn into that detail so that it kind of takes precedence because actually, you know, often it's the dynamics between the coach and the coachee, which is really valuable source of insight yeah you can be part of a leadership development program that is based around a particular psychometric Mm. so to meet the needs of the organization you need to do the psychometric thing but 
to meet the needs of the client, you may need to do something else, and that's the balance and the stuff. So, yeah, I think it does have a danger of being a distraction. I think the other thing that can be a real distraction is when the client or the client's manager really locks on to something, mm. and they're in that phase of development which is about the love labeling, and you get the language of, oh, well, they're an ENTJ, or they're red. Um, well, I know how to deal with them because they're yellow. And and there's a real danger that the the, the client or the client's manager, they, they, they pick up and they, they pick up the ball and run with it before they've really understood what the ball's about. Yeah. I think that's a, that can be a real distraction. So I think we're ready to wrap up. What do you think? What are our top tips? Yeah, so can I say you've done a really good job here of actually looking at our, our the list that we've prepped around and keeping us tr- on track, and uh, which shows that you you know you personality wise you are more process oriented than <laughs> I am. I do these things to keep you on track, Gregor. <laughs> and yeah, and and I'm, even though I I'm a more I think I'm a bit more extroverted than you are, I process my thinking outside of myself more. Well, we can immediately see differences mm. in our personalities, even though we are ostensibly the same Mars Briggs yeah. type. We're both very yeah. different. So it's a lens that you can use for, for some things, but not, not everything. Yeah, but top tips to close, um, what would your first one be? Well, I think it's building the point you've just made there, that really a psychometric is only a lens. It's a tool that kind of gets you to the end point in terms of what you're trying to achieve in the coaching it's not the be all and end all it's not the only thing yeah definitely use it to inform the coaching rather than be the coaching it's just a tool yeah i have this terrible disparaging phrase nlp nutters because i'm a master practitioner of nlp but i don't think of myself as an nlp nutter it's just a set of tools Mm. but you get some people who get really it's like a religion to them (laughs) um so yeah, it's 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 a tool that helps you get to the destination. It's not the destination. I would also say get a psychometric, learn how to use it properly before you go in and learn another one. Hmm. And I see some coaches they 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 like collecting certifications. They they, they want to qualify in more things. I spent a lot of time with other Mars Briggs practitioners, for example, explaining to them type dynamics because they haven't done the real work yeah um and i think the value of the tool is when you really get into it and you really understand it and you can use that to inform the feedback that you're giving which ultimately means that the, you know the client benefits yeah so i i really respect people that have i never got really into insights i know people that are really into it and they can really use it well mm. i'm more comfortable with mars briggs but i think i've got a ways to go to get quite up to your standard with hogan so I, I want to learn more about Hogan before I would learn another instrument. Yeah, okay. And so then final top tip for me then is, you know, game building on things that we've already said in the podcast, but it is about watching the language that you're using and just being conscious around labels. So, you know, you're not an ENTJ, you have preferences towards ENTJ. That's how you prefer to behave. You know, you're not red. But as you said, you lead with red energy. So where organisations do have a sort of a shared language or a tool they like to use, it can become very much the way they talk to each other. And I think it's just being really careful not to compartmentalise people. What did, you said that point about MBTI, yeah. and then, was it 16 rooms in a house? It's that point, you know, there's one room that you all feel most comfortable in. It doesn't mean you can't be in the others. And I can flex, 
I can flex my style depending on the situation, but given the choice, I will prefer to behave in, you know, in, in an ENTJ type of a way. Yeah, and, and, and Jung talks about a shift in emotional energy that comes, you know, a certain level of maturity, normally in your 40s, you'll want to explore the other side. It doesn't mean, say, you're now the opposite personality type. It just means you're exploring it. But I see all the time people, because it's easy, they say they start saying, I'm an ENFP. No, you're not. You have ENFP preferences. And I think it's really important that, us as the practitioners model that language yeah, so that people don't go down a limiting route, a limiting path, which is they, they want to really compartmentalize people into little boxes. I'm much more interested in not that somebody's red, it's that they lead with red, but then it's blue and then it's yellow and then it's green. And what does that really mean for them in practice? And what does that really mean for them? Because that means... The, because they're going from extroverted thinking to introverted thinking. So their thinking is more important to them than their extroversion. Hmm. But their feeling is the last thing. Their introverted feeling is the last thing, place that they go to. So that balance of energies and, and how it interrelates and what happens when they get stressed, that's the really, really important thing. Hmm. And, and if I'm a team leader... I don't want to just be thinking as, well, they're my red people and they're my blue people. You know, I want to be, I, I want to, yeah, I want to be able to think, well, you know, well, his primary, he leads with yellow, but this guy here has got really good access to his yellow energy because it's his second preference. And this person here, yellow is the least preferred energy, so I might need to pull them in more because they might get left out here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the dynamics that are at play is a really important thing, not the label itself. And that's that's why I say, what's your language? And I think we should we should definitely model that. Absolutely. This podcast may be more valuable for people who already have some familiarity. So maybe in the show notes, we'll put down, okay, this is what Myers-Briggs is and a link to it and insights. So the ones we've mentioned will definitely make sure that you have links in the show notes if you want to go and explore more. I hope everybody's really enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do give us a rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in anything at all we can help with, please email us at info at thecoachingquestion.com. Thank you very much. Thank you.